Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. I want to start out this morning by just sort of setting the the scenario. Um, I've shared this story before, probably, um, but I've shared how, as of, how old am I now? 46. I wish I was 45. Nope, 46. Um, As a 46-year-old man, I still absolutely hate roller coasters. Don't like them. And it all started because my dad put me on the scream machine when I was five years old. I guess that can tend to do that to a young man. Um, But I can still vividly remember that that ride on the screen machine for the first time as a five-year-old. I I can remember getting in the car and and a little bit, I mean, you know how your memory is as a five-year-old. But I can remember climbing the first hill. And I remember going up that, the anticipation. Yes, I was scared to death. I was a nervous wreck. But I can remember that and in your mind, you're going, dear Lord, is this thing even gonna make it to the top of the hill? But if you know anything about a roller coaster, there's always the ascend. There's always the part where you're ascending to the top. And then at the very top, as you crest the, the, the peak, there's just that brief moment where you're like, Oh, this ain't too bad. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just like, it's like there's almost a moment of pause where you can, you're like, oh, this isn't bad. I got this. And then in a moment, the bottom falls out and you're screaming, you're crying, you're praying to God. He hurry up and shows back up and takes you home like you're scared out of your mind. And if you've ever ridden a roller coaster, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's always these moments where your emotions are all over the place. There's the anticipation. Then when you get to the top, there's that moment of rest and maybe a little bit of relaxation. And then in the blink of an eye, the entire environment changes. The bottom falls out and it's almost like the game's over. It's like it's done. And then the reason that I use that is, is because when you know, when you're on the way down to the bottom, it's like everything in your life is sucked out of you, like everything. And the reason I share that this morning is to set up just this portion of scripture that we're going to look at today in the life of Nehemiah. Um, if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah um, for the last two weeks, I think it is, and just looking at his journey and the assignment that God has given him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so what we're gonna see today is that I, I believe with everything in me, as we look at Nehemiah's journey, you're gonna be able to relate and realize, hey, you know what? Nehemiah's journey is just like mine. Nehemiah's journey is just like my journey. And if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you're gonna be able to relate with all of the emotions that Nehemiah is experiencing that we're gonna see in chapter two of everything that he's dealing with. Because as you look back on your journey of following Christ, I'm sure that we can all go back to those places just like on the screen machine that were those those mountaintop moments. Those mountaintop moments in your faith that it seems like everywhere you looked, God was answering your prayers Everywhere you turned, you could see God just opening doors. Maybe you stood at the base of mountains going, how in the world is this mountain ever gonna be moved? And then all of a sudden, through the miraculous work of God, this mountain is moved. And you can remember back in those moments in your journey, in your relationship with the Lord, you can remember those mountaintop moments. And then out of nowhere, then out of nowhere, It's as if the bottom falls out. Maybe it's one phone call. 
Maybe it's one encounter with someone. But for whatever reason, you went from being on this mountaintop to where something unexpected happened and it's as if the life has been sucked out of you. And what we're gonna see today is that is literally some of the things that Nehemiah is experiencing. Because as you saw in chapter one, as he heard about the condition of Jerusalem, he immediately went into a posture of prayer because he was brokenhearted for the condition of what had taken place, or really where they still were, that there had been no progress. And so we, as you heard last week, he, he began to pray for four months and we saw God begin to transform Nehemiah's heart. As, as Pastor Brandon shared last week, he, he molded and shaped his heart and gave him a heart of compassion for the people of Jerusalem. Then we know that through that prayer, then he also received the instruction of what his responsibility was now to rebuild the wall. But then we also know the heart of, of Nehemiah was that his whole motive behind it was that he simply wanted God to get glory for whatever took place. And so we've seen that through spending time with the Lord that, that God had given Nehemiah his instruction. And because of what we're gonna see today, we know that once the instruction was given, Nehemiah was ready to go to work. He was ready to go to work. And I love how Pastor Brandon shared that last week of, of just talking about how, yes, we can pray about things all day long. We can pray for the miraculous to happen, but there's oftentimes that God is going to invite us to be a part of the movement, to be a part of the answered prayer, to be a part of the miracles. But as God speaks, are you gonna be willing to do the work? And so I want us to start reading today in chapter two. We're gonna finish out chapter two today and believe it or not, I don't want this to scare you to death, we're gonna cover chapter three too today, but you'll understand that's not gonna take a whole lot of time. Um, but in Nehemiah chapter two, read with me in verses 11 through 16. Nehemiah says, so I came to Jerusalem and I was there for three days and I arose in the night I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates were consumed by fire. Verse 14, then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. Basically, I couldn't get in. So I went up by night by the ravine and I inspected the wall and then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Now remember, through prayer, God has given Nehemiah his instructions to rebuild the wall. And so what he was on now in the beginning of chapter two and the latter part of chapter two is this is sort of the, the observation. Let's see what we've gotten ourselves into. And so in this moment of him that night going out and inspecting the wall, he was introduced to the task that God had given him. He was introduced to, in his mind and in his eyes, as he observed probably what seemed absolutely impossible. You see, he went from this mountaintop moment to this reality that was very, very eye-opening. Now, what's interesting is when we read through Nehemiah's journey, through studying, I found that there's so many things that we can learn from where he exited, where he entered, and the journey in which he went around Jerusalem to look. So there's a lot of things, there's a lot of lessons that we can learn just by the path that Nehemiah took. 
And so if, you took in, if you're taking notes and you remember, I want you to pay attention to the, the place that Nehemiah started. It said that he started at the valley gate. Now, the thing that we can know about a valley is that anytime a valley is referenced in scripture, it's usually speaking of a sorrow. It's usually speaking of a, of a, of a time of of lowliness, a time of loneliness, a time of darkness. And so metaphorically speaking, a valley, it literally is the last place that ever sees the sunlight as the sun rises during the day. So the fact that he enters in through the valley lets us know that this is probably geographically the lowest point in the city of Jerusalem. And so here, Nehemiah has literally gone from this mountaintop moment of watching God move, watching God prove himself, watching God provide all the resources, giving him favor with the king. We talked about all the doors that opened. And now all of a sudden, he went from being obedient to God, being in this mountaintop moment, to he enters in through the valley gate, which is literally the lowest, darkest point in Jerusalem. And so we see literally he goes from this mountaintop moment to physically the lowliest moment. Steps into darkness. And here's the, the, the irony in all of it. Is God's, his obedience to God is the very thing that led him to the valley. His obedience to God is the very thing that led him to the valley. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But you know, I think we can all relate to Nehemiah in that when we look back at his mountaintop moment, remember he prayed for four months. God provided favor with the king. The king said, sure, here's all the resources. How much time do you need? And so I think we can all agree with that when when we can identify and we can watch God move the mountains, we can we can walk in the favor of the Lord, when we can seem like it's every time we turn around that God's answering prayers, that we can see the hand of God moving, that we can watch it, that we can be a part of it. That's when it's fun to follow God. That's when it's fun to be close to the Lord, when we get to experience all of these mountaintop moments. And I think we can all agree that if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, You've all experienced this. You've seen God move. You have felt God's presence. You've seen him open doors. You've seen him lead you through difficult seasons, through difficult situations. And as long as it's going that way, it's easy. It's easy to follow the Lord when things are going well. But the question is, is when we go from the mountaintop to the valley, are we still gonna be as faithful as we were on the mountaintop? Are we still gonna be as faithful as we were when all of a sudden things don't look so good? And so as Nehemiah enters into the valley gate, he notices that the gates have been burned, the wall has been destroyed, and just when you think it can't get any worse, According to the scripture, it says his next stop was probably what some of your Bibles refer to as the dung gate. And the reason that that is the name of the gate, because that is literally what was there. It was the southernmost portion of Jerusalem. And so what they would do is all of the animal waste, that's where they would ship it, that's where they would put it, so that the prevailing wind would carry it out of the city, so the stench wouldn't make it back into the city. That's literally what it is. So here Nehemiah is. He's already in the darkest valley, and he continues journeying. Now he's in a valley full of, I don't know the proper term to use here, dung, ha, there we go, poop. Crap. Okay, there, there, I went there. Sorry, Tony. That was for you, Tony. And so now all of a sudden, just when Nehemiah thinks it can't get worse, guess what it did? It got worse. So he goes from this mountaintop moment to this valley where there's loneliness, where there's darkness, where it represents sorrow. And then his next stop 
is another stinky place, literally. Even a lower point than where he already was. And have you ever been in seasons of your life where it's, you go from this mountaintop moment, then all of a sudden the bottom falls out and it's like the life had gets sucked out of you for whatever reason. And just when you think things can't get worse, guess what usually happens? They get worse. And when we're in those seasons, when we've journeyed through these lowly, lonely places in life, does it not cause you to long for that mountaintop moment even more? Some of you are going, Brian, that's where I'm at right now. I was just thinking things couldn't get worse, but oh, this past week they did. I just thought that I had just survived this low valley and then out of nowhere, something else happened. I received another phone call. And maybe because of this place you're at right now in your heart, you're yearning and you're longing just for a glimpse of that mountaintop moment again. You just wanna feel the presence of God again. You just wanna see God do the miraculous again. And so in you, It's just birthing that desire that you're going back to that mountaintop saying, oh, what I would give just to be there one more time. Well, a lot of scholars believe that the desire for Nehemiah's next stop is the picture that is being painted in scripture for us. Because if you read on, you see that he's gone from the valley gate to the refuse gate And then the next gate that was mentioned was the fountain gate. And it says that he wanted to visit the pools. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, even even into the New Testament, a fountain always represents the opposite of the valley. It represents life. It represents flowing water, these pools that they're talking about. This is the pools where people would come for healing. And so a lot of scholars believe that that in Nehemiah's heart, that that was... Part of the reason that he wanted to go to this fountain gate is he just wanted to experience life again. He just wanted to experience hope. He just wanted to hear some good news again. But what does the Bible say happened when he approached the fountain gate? He couldn't yet get in. Him nor his animal could get around the gate, could get in to the fountain gate. No matter how bad he longed to see life, no matter how bad he longed for some good news, the physical imagery we see here is that he couldn't get to it. That he couldn't get past the brokenness of this gate. No matter how bad he just simply wanted some good news. He just wanted to experience just a glimpse of that mountaintop moment again. And so what I'm going to tell you next, honestly, is a very, very hard lesson to learn. And I think we can all share from experience that the lesson that I'm going to talk about is is something that we have walked through if we've been following Christ for any amount of time. What we can learn from Nehemiah is the fact that he couldn't get to the fountain gate, the fact that he couldn't experience this this good news, this life helps us to understand that God wasn't finished preparing Nehemiah in the valley. God wasn't finished shaping and molding Nehemiah into the leader that he wanted him to become. Because yeah, it would have been a whole lot easier to give him a glimpse of this fountain, this life, this hope. But it's as if God says, hey, you know what? You're not ready yet. I've still got some things that I wanna teach you. I've still got some ways that I want to shape and I want to mold you. And so what we have to learn as followers of Christ is we have to always understand that God the Father, our heavenly Father, is always shaping and molding us into a position to be obedient to him so that we can constantly be learning no matter if you're walking through the valley or if you're walking through the mountaintop. And the hard truth of this life lesson is that lessons are always learned in the lowest valleys. 
And I know that's not fun to talk about. And I know that's a hard truth to swallow. But some of the most precious lessons that I've ever learned from my heavenly father have been through the lowest and the darkest valleys of my life. I heard one pastor reference a quote from Billy Graham. And I love this. Mountaintops are good for a view, but the fruit always grows in the valley. Mountaintops are good for the view, but the fruit always grows in the valley. So as adults, you can think back of your life in those lowest, darkest valleys that you've walked through. And if you're real, real honest and you examine those valleys, I will guarantee you that you can take the nuggets of truth that the Holy Spirit of God taught you. He taught you how to trust him. He taught you how to hold on to him. No matter how bad you longed for the fountain gate, he says, my child, I'm not finished with you in the valley yet, but aren't you thankful we serve a God who doesn't throw us to the valley by ourselves? He never leaves you in that valley. He walks with you through that valley. And so as adults, yes, we can relate, but I can honestly tell you that today and just this past week, my heart is, is aching and it is so burdened for our young people, especially those that arrived back home on Friday from kids camp, from student camp. Because Chelsea and I got to visit both places and watching these kids and these teenagers, can I tell you, many of them were experiencing this mountaintop moment. Many of them for those three to four days, they were able to get away. They were able to climb out of their valleys and be able to walk through these mountaintop moments with friends and adults who love and care about them. But what breaks my heart is many of them experienced exactly what Nehemiah experienced as he entered the city of Jerusalem. They immediately went from this mountaintop moment of a parking lot full of friends and people who loved them and they were dumped right back into the valley of the disaster that they live in their own home. And that breaks my heart. Because as I talked with them on Thursday night, I believe it was with the teenagers, God had impressed it on my heart is just to get real honest with them when we started. I said, a lot of you, you don't want camp to end because you don't want to go home. And to immediately see tears well up in their eyes. And can I tell you as a pastor, that's something that I don't want somebody to agree with. But to sit and watch them go, I don't wanna go home. You see, they didn't wanna leave the mountaintop because they knew they were headed right back to a valley. But there's something in verse 12 that we read earlier that we skimmed right over it, but I don't want you to miss it. Look at what Nehemiah said as he talks about his arrival into Jerusalem, as he's getting ready to enter into the valley, the beginning of verse 12, and I arose in the night, and I want you to highlight, I want you to underline this, I and a few men with me. I and a few men with me. You see, Nehemiah knew just enough to know what God's called me to, I'm not gonna be able to do it by myself. And so the question that I wanna ask you, even in the stillness of this moment, who are your few people that you know that are gonna walk through the valleys of life with you? Who are the people that God has placed around you they're gonna walk through the lowest seasons of life with you. Do you have them? Who are they? 
And this is the heartbeat behind what we prayed for for our students is they got home Friday. Although many of them may walk right back into the valley, they may walk right back into the temptations that they left. They may walk right back into the battlefield that they, they, they left from to go to camp. But my prayer has been that at camp, they developed relationships with peers, with people that are in the same season of life they are. That they developed relationships with these small group leaders that they says, you know what? Even though I'm in a valley, not only do I have God, but I also know just like Nehemiah, I've got a few people with me. I got a few people with me that I know that I can turn to. I've got a few people with me that I know I can lean on. And this is my prayer is that teenagers come home as they enter the valley. They can acknowledge the valley, but now they say, hey, you know what? Even though I'm in a valley, I know I've got somebody I can call. I know I've got somebody I can lean on. And so that's in light of our teenagers, but in light of for the majority of you, this is the very reason that we emphasize that you get connected in a small group, in a Sunday school class. This is the importance of this because can I tell you that there are valleys that are coming and God didn't create you to walk through that valley alone. So this is the very reason we emphasize that we want you to be connected in a group. We want you doing life with people. And as we enter the season of fall coming in August and everybody gets back into the routine, I can tell you right now, we're gonna make the biggest push since God has called us here to get every one of you connected in a group. And look, you may be uncomfortable already, but can I tell you, God didn't create you to do it by yourself. You say, well, pastor, are you in a small group? Absolutely, I'm in a group. Me and my wife, we're in a small group. And I wanna tell you about our first meeting with this small group because look, I get it. I often have to wear the pastor hat. And when I enter a house, everybody looks at me. Oh, so you're leading this small group? And so yes, we started it out that night. But I told our small group, I said, here's, our heartbeat for this small group. I don't want to be Pastor Brian. And I don't want her to be Pastor Brian's wife. When we come to our small group, I want to be Brian and Chelsea. Because we need people around us. Because I know there's valleys coming. We got a whole bunch of kids. Like a lot of them. So valleys are coming from everywhere. And so we know that that's coming. We know that there's gonna be valleys and low seasons in our life. And I also know that we can't do it by ourselves. And so that's what I wanna encourage you with is to make sure you're surrounded by those few people that Nehemiah references. So here's Nehemiah and his boys. They're taking the walk around Jerusalem. And here's what I love. All of a sudden, Nehemiah with his boys begins to share his burden. He now begins to have a conversation and enlightens them on what God has instructed him to do. Because we see immediately, Nehemiah goes, okay, I got my boys with me. And this weight's getting heavier. The more I see, the more chaos in the valleys that I watch, I'm realizing that this burden's getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And so all of a sudden, what does he do now? He has a platform now to share with those few men who are around him so now they can help him carry the burden. They can help him carry the burden. Look at verses 17 and 18, and you're gonna notice something. It's like all of a sudden we begin to see a shift we begin to see a shift in energy. Verse 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we're in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. Some of your Bibles probably say so. We'll no longer be a disgrace. Then in verse 19, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words, which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. And so they put their hands 
to the good work. I wanna emphasize there again, that word, the plurality of that word, we. He says, we got a mess, man. You see the condition that we are in. So he's acknowledging, I'm not in this by myself. God has given me people that are gonna walk through this with me. And we see that burden begins to get shared with those who are around him. And this is not the only place in scripture that we see the importance of community. We could go for days of passages of scripture where God intends for us to do life with people. There's just a few examples that I have. Look on the the screen in Galatians chapter six, verse two. We won't turn there. It says, but bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Another one in Hebrews. Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Verse 25, it goes on to say, not forsaking our own assembling together is it the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then one from Ephesians. And it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Look, these are just three examples. We could go for days of where God emphasizes through his word the importance of us being connected with people because God didn't intend to us to carry our burdens alone. But as you see in this passage in verse 17 and 18, I like to refer to this kind of that, that locker room talk. Coach Thomas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like this is that moment where you're rallying the troops in the locker room at halftime. You're in a mess, you're down 25, And you're thinking, honestly, this is a mountain we can't cross. So Nehemiah, they've just observed the condition of Jerusalem. They've just seen the city walls. They've seen the gates. And all of a sudden he's saying, man, we got to rally the troops. We got to get all on the same page. We got to pull everybody together because this mountain is going to be a hard mountain to climb. We got a long way to go. But what I love is how did Nehemiah begin to build the momentum? How did he begin to shift the environment of their attitude? Verse 18 is very clear. You know how he shifted their momentum? You know how he shifted their attitude? He remembered the God of the mountain. He remembered the God of the mountain. He goes back and he just revisits God's provision. He revisits God's favor. He talked about the answered prayer. And so that's what I want you to understand today is that that the very thing, the very way that Nehemiah and his men were going to attack the victory that was already theirs because God's on their side, but the way he attacked the upcoming victory was to simply remember the victories of the past. And so when you're in those low valleys, when you're in those impossible moments, what I always want to encourage you to do is always remember God's faithfulness. Always remember those mountaintop moments when you walked with the Lord. Because it is. It's so easy to forget God's faithfulness when you're in the valley. It's so easy to forget those moments when we face those impossible situations. And so Nehemiah quickly goes back to the God of the mountaintop to get them through the valley that they're in. And so what we've always got to acknowledge is the same God that was on the mountain is the same God who's with you in the valley. He never changes. Although our circumstances might, he never changes. So here we go, verses 17 and 18. We see him revisiting God, the God of faithfulness, God's provision, God's promises, God's answered prayer. And then all of a sudden we see, and this is like they pile out of the locker room. They're ready to go. They they said, let us build. Let us build. And they said they put their hands to do the work. And so as we read that, we're going, yeah, let's go. Let's, and then all of a sudden, verse 19, you get that big old butt that shows up. 
Have you ever done that? That you, you start to feel the anticipation is, yes, I can start following the Lord. I can trust God. I can do this. I can do that. And then all of a sudden, the but shows up. Look at the but in verse 19. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard it, they mocked us. And they despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Are you rebelling against the king? You see, these three men were, were the enemy. They weren't in favor of the rebuilding of this wall. They weren't in favor of all this energy that was building up, all of this excitement, all of this anticipation you do realize that when we get excited about the things of God, when we get ready to walk in obedience to what God has called us, it doesn't make the enemy very happy. And the enemy is always gonna show up to put doubt in your mind, to put fear in your mind, because you see, the enemy never wants us to remember the God of the mountaintop. He wants us to focus on the valley we're in. He wants us to stay there. He wants to stay in the darkness. He wants us to stay in the hopelessness. But what we see is that he tells them, these three men, they says, hey, are you not rebelling against the king? You still see and understand that, this, that the enemy, Satan is still a bold-faced liar. Because remember, he's saying, aren't you rebelling against the king? You remember what Pastor Brandon said last week. The favor of God was given to them through the king. So they're not rebelling against the king. They're actually doing exactly what the king's given them the ability to do. The king's provided the favor. The king's provided the, the permission slips. He's provided the lumber. He's provided all of the resources. So they know the truth. They know what the king has already told them, but do you realize that the enemy, even in the, our New Testament life of following Christ, the enemy still has not changed his tactics at all. He's still a liar. He's still a deceiver. He's the father of lies. Look at John chapter eight, verse 44. You don't have to turn there. I'll flip there and read it for you. John chapter eight, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand on the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Do you remember how it all started with Adam and Eve in the garden? God the father said, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. What did the serpent say? I surely won't die. They're walking and doing exactly what the king has given them permission to do. And the enemy shows up the very same tactic and says, hey, are you not rebelling against the king? He lies again. How many times in your life are you attempting to walk in obedience to God? You've heard the Lord speak. God's given you the instructions. And now all of a sudden you're facing the impossible. And what does the enemy tell you? You can't do it. Instead of reminding you of your victories, he reminds you of your past. He says you can't do it. He'll tell you that you're all alone. He'll tell you that nobody cares. He'll tell you you're a failure. And when you're standing in front of what seems impossible, even as you remember the God of the mountaintops, and all of a sudden that faith begins to increase, that excitement, that joy in the Lord, it begins to grow. The enemy doesn't like it, so then he's gonna fill your head full of lies, full of doubt, full of fear, full of anxiety, full of worry. And what does it do? It paralyzes you. Because we begin to believe the lies to be the truth. And we begin saying those very things about ourselves. You know what? He's right. I can't do that. 
there's no way God can reconcile my family. There's no way I can bring health back to this situation. There's no way that I can overcome this addiction. There's no way I'm gonna make it. And even as I share some of those scenarios with you, you're going right now in this room, this moment, you're going, Brian, that's right where I'm at. I'm believing everything the enemy says. I feel hopeless and I don't have any hope. What I'm facing seems impossible. And the enemy keeps telling me that it is. So Brian, I understand all this. This sounds great. So what, so what do I do? How do I get out of this? How do I move forward? How do I give a deaf ear to the enemy and turn my ear to the father who loves me? You know how you always combat the enemy's lies? You always combat it with the truth of God's word. When we see the temptations of Jesus, when the enemy was trying to make him his puppet and take him to all these places and tempting Jesus, if you will do this, if you will do that, if you will do this, I will do this for you. How did Jesus attack the lie from the enemy? It is written. It is written. He always combated the enemy's lie with the truth of the word of God. And so look at what verse 20, Nehemiah's head's full of the lies. And all of a sudden it says, so I answered them and I said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore we, his servants will arise and we will build, but you have no portion, no right or memorial in Jerusalem. You see what Nehemiah tells these three liars? He looks at Samballot, he looks at Tobiah, he looks at Geshem and he says, you know what? God's going to finish what God started. God didn't bring me this far to leave me now. God is going to accomplish his work. God is going to finish what he birthed in me. And as a child of God, what you need to understand here in this room this morning, God wants to use you the very same way. I say it all the time that God didn't save you to sit. God saved you to be a builder of his kingdom. While you're here on earth, it doesn't matter what seems impossible. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you're living in right now. If God has saved you by his grace, he wants to use you. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard our mission statement. Our mission statement is to saturate the world by making disciples. And the three ways that we do that is the three strategies that that we believe are from, from God's voice to us as our staff. It's through the three strategies, belong, become, and build. We want every person that steps foot on this campus, every person that we encounter on the streets, we want them to belong to the family of God. And then secondly, once you belong to the family of God, we want you to become a mature disciple of the Lord. And then lastly, if we were gonna do A plus B equals C, is that we want every follower of Christ to be a builder of the kingdom of God. That's the end result. We want every one of you to play a role in building the kingdom of God. My heart, this staff's heart, is to see you walking in obedience as to what it looks like for you to be a builder. And that's not my job to tell you what that is. It'd be a whole lot easier if it was. 
But that's gonna require you getting on your face and asking God, God, what is my role in building the kingdom? God, what role do I play in building the kingdom? Now listen to me, I'm not talking about building the kingdom of Chestnut Mountain Church. We don't care about building the name of Chestnut Mountain Church. The kingdom that we're talking about building is the kingdom of God. I don't care if you go out to build the kingdom and you never mention this place. But I do want you talking about the Lord. I do want you talking about what he's done for you. And the reason that we want you doing that, the reason that we want you to, to be a builder is because once you begin experiencing the excitement and the joy that God is allowing you to be a part of his work, it's contagious. It's contagious. When I get to hear about volunteers going to kids camp and student camp and getting to sit with a child or a teenager and it's the very first time they've ever sat with one and been able to pray with them and be able to walk with them through their process of salvation. They didn't save anybody, but God allowed them to be a part of building that kingdom. It's contagious. And we laugh about it all the time, but as people continue to visit this place, as families continue to come to this, this local body, can I tell you why they're coming? At the end of the day, we want the Holy Spirit of God to be bringing them here. But it's because of you. It's because of the life that you're living outside of here is contagious. You're loving people. You're inviting people. You're serving people. And it spikes a curiosity in our community. Hey, you know what? I want to be a part of something like that. And as you will look in chapter 3, you're going, oh my gosh, we're going to walk through chapter three now? No. But if you read chapter three, all it does is walk through the map of Jerusalem about all these groups of people that are tackling their responsibility. That's taking care of this portion of the wall. That's taking care of this portion of the gate. They're all walking in obedience to the door that has been opened for them to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And so the question I would ask you, are you walking in that obedience? Are you taking care of the responsibility that's been given to you? Are you doing what God has instructed you to do? And if you do it, it's gonna become contagious. So the four things that I want to summarize and just take away from this, and this will be the elements of our response time. There's four things that I want you to remember. And I want to start where we ended. First and foremost, God wants you to be a builder. God wants you to be a builder. The second one, you ready for this one? This one's earth shattering. Satan's a liar. That simple. Satan is a liar. The third one, don't ever attempt to walk through a valley alone. Don't attempt to walk through a valley alone. And maybe today you find yourself in the valley. And that brings us to the last one that I want you to remember. Don't ever forget that the same God that was on the mountaintop is the same God in the valley. And so maybe today you're in that valley. I encourage you, grab somebody's hand. Don't go in the valley alone. And maybe it's a time of prayer this morning where you grab whoever that individual is. Maybe it's another family. And you say, hey, we're in a valley and we just simply need to know that we got somebody with us.
we got somebody with us. But I want you to be obedient with whatever the Spirit of God leads you to do this morning. And maybe you're on that mountaintop moment. Maybe your worship needs to exemplify today that for those who are in the valley, hey, I'm gonna worship enough for both of us today. I'm gonna worship enough for both of us. Because you see, the purpose of us not being in the valley alone is there's gonna be days that you're ready to throw in the towel. But if you've got the right people around you, they're gonna be the ones that lift your arms up for you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.